If you want to take your Bible, turn to Matthew chapter 24. Amanda and I were sitting in the living room this week. She was reading something about the world and I made some kind of comment that was, I guess, cold or callous or appeared uncaring. And she looks at me and she says, you know what's going on in the world right now. And I said, "Mm mm-hmm, of course I do. And then I listed off a few things that happened a couple of years ago. And she said, no, you need to go and read what's going on in the world right now. See, I'm not a big news person. How many of you just got the news on at your house 24-7? It's like you watch Fox News, CNN, and, and MSNBC like for fun. Like that's fun to you. I don't know what's the matter with you. Something is wrong. Who wants to watch the news for fun? But some of you do. I'm not one of those people. In fact, I try to avoid it at all costs because, let's just be honest, it's all bad, right? I mean, have you watch the 10 o'clock news, like... They want to hook you in so bad that they give the most gruesome details to whatever they're going to report right before the news comes on. And I'm like, it's bad. I don't need to know the details of how it's bad. I just get that it's bad. And and so I pretended like I knew what she was talking about. And then I went and started reading. I went to one website. And in one website, I uh, learned, and I had heard, of course, a few of these things. But I learned about, um, you know, Iran and Israel, China and Japan. I didn't even know there was a China and Japan thing going on. But apparently there is. And this movie thing that's come out. Now the, the world is protesting it. And so we've got chaos in Egypt and in Libya and around the world. France is thinking of shutting down 20 of their embassies for a little while while they get all this stuff straightened out. It's just a mess. And then you've got everything local here. I mean, we're in a very tense election. Does it not feel like in this election? election that if like the right thing doesn't happen like the whole world is going to explode but the problem is is that when you talk to this person this is the right thing that needs to happen you know or the world's going to explode but then you talk to somebody else and this is the right thing that has to happen or the world's going to explode so I guess the world is just going to explode no matter what happens in November it's very tense you've got teachers striking in Chicago and and Tim Tebow has not ruled out uh, running for politics I mean I read that all in this all in one website I read all of that together but it does feel like that right like most of the time we're kind of look at what's going on around the world like out of the corner of our eye you know as we're living it's just there in our peripheral vision but when you stop and you just look man it's it feels bad I mean it just feels like the world is falling apart And the church has a choice. The church always has a choice. In times like these, we can either descend into chaos and despair with the rest of the world. Or we, as the church of Jesus Christ on planet earth, can stare the future in the face. And with resolve and confidence and bravery and courage, walk forward with a sense of hope and optimism that no one else on planet earth shares. That's our choice. And Jesus gives us that choice. In Matthew chapter 24, he describes in the first century what very much feels like is happening in our century. We're going to get to 2 Corinthians next week, probably. 
I said that last week. The great thing about the scripture is it's always going to be there. And so 2 Corinthians is always going to be there. We can drop in and out of it whenever we want. So Matthew chapter 24. But I did want to take this opportunity in these days to just speak to how do we respond to everything that's going on? Do we escalate the discussion? Do we ramp up the sense of desperation and all these things? Or... Do we walk steady and sure? What's our role? Matthew chapter 24, verse 1. As Jesus left and was going out of the temple complex, his disciples came up and called his attention to the temple buildings. And then he replied to them, Don't you see all these things? I assure you not one stone will be left here on another that will not be thrown down. So Jesus and the disciples are leaving the temple And the disciples bring to Jesus' attention how beautiful the temple is. And it was beautiful. At this point in the first century, there was really no building on planet Earth like it. It was one of the most amazing construction projects ever undertaken. It really was beautiful. And then Jesus says to them in the midst of their admiring its beauty, not one of these stones is going to left unturned. Meaning this place that we just left, the temple, it's going to be destroyed. Now that's crazy on a couple of levels. A, number one, the stones which Jesus are talking about are massive stones. They're not the stones that we're thinking of right now. They're not bricks. They're not little rocks that are a little bit bigger than bricks. I mean, these are massive stones that were carved by professionals. They're not the things that you just topple over easily without heavy machinery. It's also crazy because the temple was more than just religious space for the Jewish people. They literally believed that heaven and earth came together in the temple. You can go on the internet and Google um, the temple and, and what you'll find is, is, a, is, a, is an amazing picture in all of its beauty and, and it was It was a massive structure and inside of it was the Holy of Holies and in that Holy of Holies was where heaven and earth met together in their minds. You've heard of the scientific theory Pangea, a little science review for you today. I'm not a professional so don't come and ask questions about it to me because I don't know the answers. But Pangea essentially was if you took all of the continents and you put them together as one supercontinent, that was Pangea. And so scientists believe that at one time you know, all the continents were together and then it drifted apart. So if you go online and you look up Pangea and you look at all those continents put together like a puzzle, you know what's in the middle? Israel. You know what's in the middle of Israel? Jerusalem. And in the middle of Jerusalem, the temple where heaven and earth met together. So for these people, these disciples that Jesus is talking to, The temple is more than just a place of worship. It's more than just this building that we're in. It was the center of everything for them. And Jesus has the audacity to say, there's coming a day when this is going to be destroyed. And it was. In AD 70, because the Jewish people were rebelling a little bit against the Romans, they sent a Roman army, and a Roman army totally destroyed Jerusalem And wiped out the temple so that when you go to Israel today, there's just a tiny portion of a wall of what once was standing there. Verse 3. And while he was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples approached him privately and said, Tell us 
when will these things happen? And what is the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? So you can picture Jesus and the disciples are coming out of the temple complex, the most beautiful building on planet earth at that moment. They go down out of Jerusalem through the Kidron Valley and up on the Mount of Olives. If you've ever seen an amazing picture of Jerusalem, it was taken from the Mount of Olives. So you can picture Jesus and his disciples sitting on this massive hill, looking back over Jerusalem, looking over the temple, and the disciples come to him and they say, hey, you know, you made that, you know, very, very strange comment about the temple being destroyed. When is that going to happen? And what is the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? Now, Jesus coming for us means one thing. You know, he's gone right now in the sense of like he physically is in heaven and one day he physically is going to return. And so when we talk about the second coming of Jesus, we know that's what we're talking about. For them, the coming of Jesus looked a little bit different and so did the end of the age. The end of the age for us might be when the whole world explodes and whatever happens after that happens. We're not really sure. But the the, the, coming coming of Jesus or the coming of the Messiah and the end of the age, it meant something very specific to them because at this moment, the disciples, even though we're getting towards the end and Jesus is going to be arrested and crucified very soon, they don't fully understand everything that he's talking about. So when he says that he's going to be raised from the dead, they're thinking of that in the terms of like metaphorically. It's not in their frame of reference that he would actually die and actually be raised from the dead. And then they're definitely not thinking that he's going to ascend up into heaven. So for them, the coming of Jesus means, Jesus, when are you going to take your place on the throne in Jerusalem? When are you going to be the king? And the end of the age was, as we mentioned last week, when the Messiah was on the throne of Israel, then God himself would come and live among his people, Israel, just as he had done in the days of the Old Testament. That was the end of the age. They were in this current age, and then they were going to be in a different age. And so that's what Jesus' disciples are meaning when they ask him these questions. When are these things going to happen and so Jesus is going to give them some signs now the big question in Matthew chapter 24 is have these signs that Jesus gives them have they already happened did they happen in the lifetime of the disciples or are they going to happen in the future now you'll find people who love Jesus and love the Bible who believe that everything that Jesus lists out in Matthew chapter 24 was fulfilled in the days of Jesus's disciples like the temple being destroyed in AD 70 You'll have, you, but you'll find people who love Jesus and love the Bible who think, no, all of these things, they haven't happened yet. They're going to happen in the future, right before Jesus returns. And then you find people who love Jesus and love the Bible who are very educated who say, I think it's both. And that's where I fall. I think both things are true. That these things that we'll read today were definitely fulfilled in some way in the lifetime of the disciples. And yet I think they're also descriptions of what is in our future. You remember the story of Abraham and Isaac? God says to Abraham, I want you to take your son Isaac, the son of promise, the son I've been telling you is going to come. I want you to take him up on the mountain. I want you to kill him. I want you to sacrifice him to me. And Abraham does. Now that's shocking to us because we would never do that to our children. But Abraham had so much faith in God, Hebrews chapter 11 says, that he went up on top of that mountain and was going to sacrifice his son because he knew that if he did, because God had given him that son, God would raise him from the dead. And so Abraham goes up on the mountain and is going to sacrifice Isaac. But right at the last minute, what happens? An angel comes and stops him. And then God provides a ram and they sacrifice the ram instead. And that was a real event that happened in real time. And yet, it represented what was going to happen in the future. That's what God did with his son. That he sacrificed his son for us, 
for our sins so that we can be forgiven, so that we can be brought near. You'll find that about a lot of the Old Testament prophecies. They were given to real people at real time for a real purpose, and yet they meant something for the future. And I think that's what's happening in Matthew chapter 24, that these were fulfilled and true in the days of Jesus' disciples, and they are definitely true in our day. Look what it says. Verse 4. Then Jesus replied to them, Watch out that no one deceives you, for many will come in my name saying, I am the Messiah, and they will deceive many. So the first sign Jesus gives them is there are going to be false messiahs. That's how you know when things are coming to the end, because there's going to be false messiahs. Now we think that's probably true around Jesus' time, but probably not in our time. If we're talking about Messiah, we're talking about Jesus. What's interesting is there's a very high-profile religious leader around the world. He's not in, he's not in, our, in America, but uh, around the world. Uh, that has, he has many followers, and his people right now are confused about whether or not he's the Christ or not. And even some of his followers pray in his name, false Messiah. Verse six, you are going to hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not alarmed because these things must take place, but the end is not yet for nation will rise up against nation and kingdom against kingdom. Is not not a perfect description of about 90% of what we hear, wars and rumors of war. There's maybe some conflict over here, maybe some conflict over here, maybe some conflict over here. Wars and rumors of wars. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. Both are common in our day. All these events are the beginning of birth pains. Now, birth pains were, um, were a natural and a common uh, metaphor for the first century Jewish people to refer to the end of things. And it makes sense because something old is coming to an end and something new is happening. When, Annabeth, uh, when Amanda was pregnant with Annabeth, you know, towards like, like the end, like the very end, like nine months plus, we went on a last date. You know, we had to go on a last date because after the baby's born, it's like lockdown in the house because of germs. So nobody's really coming in and out. And then, you know, even after maybe germs are not a concern, you don't just trust any any bozo with your little newborn baby. And so uh, it was going to be a while before we got out of the house again and went on a very romantic date. And so we went to Papado's. That's where we went because it's a nice restaurant, but it's not super expensive. And that's a sweet spot for me. Nice, but not expensive. I like that. And so we're having a good time. And I was eating my favorite there, which is banana pudding. I don't even bother with the meal. I just go straight for the banana pudding. Sometimes if I'm feeling rebellious I'll get soup and then the big banana pudding and uh, so I'm eating my pudding and Amanda she goes whoa I think something's happen- happening okay after the pudding you know, I'm <laughs> eating the pudding a little bit later happens again happens again She's like, I, I don't know, but maybe, maybe I'm, I'm thinking. And so at the Papados, we pull out our watches, phones, and um, start timing stuff. And um, we determine by the end that we're going to go to the house, back to the house. And if it's still going then, we'll get our stuff and we'll head to the hospital. And sure enough, we got home. It was still kind of happening. Got to the hospital. It quit. And, uh, and so we spent a very uh, expensive night in a hotel called the hospital. But that's the beginning of birth pains. At the end of birth pains, there's nobody in the world who's questioning whether or not this is happening. But at the beginning, it's like, maybe, maybe not. Could be, maybe not. 
And Jesus is saying these signs, they're the beginning of birth pains. Not the end, but the beginning of what's to come. Verse 9, Then they will hand you over for persecution, and they will kill you, and you will be hated by all nations because of my name. So there's a shared suffering that everyone goes through, that, that all the people that lived in the disciples' day went through. Wars, rumors of wars. People who live in our day, wars, rumors of wars. Famines, earthquakes. It's a common suffering that everyone on planet Earth experiences. But then there's a certain kind of suffering in these signs that's reserved just for the church, just for followers of Jesus, persecution. Now, all of the disciples that Jesus is speaking to, minus Judas, they all experienced persecution. Eleven of them gave their lives as martyrs, potentially all twelve, but we definitely know eleven. They all experienced this persecution. The next generation of the church experienced persecution too. So it was definitely true about them. But we think about persecution, we're like, oh, that's something that happened a super long time ago. Or we'll think that's something that's happening to some other people somewhere else right now. You know, there are people in the world who came to a moment just like you came to a moment where you took your faith and you put it in Jesus. You could have done anything with it, but you saw the, the purity and the righteousness and the way of Jesus and you trusted in him. You put your faith in him and they did the same thing and you became a Christian and they became Christians, but because of where they lived and where they were born, because they made the very same decision that you hopefully have made. Now they're pressed down and persecuted because of that faith. So it's easy for us to go, well, persecution, it's real. Happened a long time ago. Or it's happening in some place that I've never been and will never go. But could persecution come to the United States of America? And I pray not. But it's possible. It's possible in our generation. It's possible in our children's generation. Because anytime you are the prophetic minority, you will be persecuted. Anytime you hold to truth while everyone else drifts away, if you are the minority, everyone else will turn on you. And there is a chance in the United States of America in the future, whether in my lifetime, your lifetime, our children's lifetime, that Christianity could be the prophetic minority and persecution would be possible. There's a well-known large university in our city that when you are a freshman and you come to orientation, they will encourage you to seek out other religions, every religion, in fact, except for Christianity. In our city. They make it very easy for religious groups to exist on campus except if you are a Christian. In Houston, Texas, in 2012. We're stereotyped. You see Christians on television, never nuanced, never a realistic portrayal. It's always the bigot or the hypocrite. We're accused of that narrow-mindedness all the time. That we don't just affirm what everybody else wants to do. Our sexual ethics will get us in trouble while the rest of the world redefines what is moral when it comes to sexuality and we hold to the truth of God's word. It's not a very popular opinion. So I pray and you should pray that that does not come to us. But we should live with the, the knowledge that it is a realistic possibility 
And it is a sign of things to come. Verse 10. Then many will take offense, betray one another, and hate one another. Many false prophets will rise up and deceive many. So what happens is persecution gets turned up. There will be many of us, not many of them, many of us who at that moment when the persecution gets turned up, we look at each other and go, I thought this was just about going to heaven. Somebody gave me the choice when I was 17. Do you want to go to heaven or do you want to go to hell? And I said, I want to go to heaven. And they said, Jesus is the way to heaven. And I'm like, well, then I'm following Jesus. I didn't know that this meant something for right now. Like this mattered right now. And so when persecution gets turned up, all of us who kind of are in because of that, because we want to do whatever we want to do right now, and we're just got some kind of thing going on after we're dead, all of us, when persecution happens, you know what we're going to do? Who have signed up? Peace. I'm out. I didn't know. I just wanted to go to heaven. And those people will turn on those who said, yeah, I believed in Jesus because I wanted to go to heaven. But somewhere along the way, I realized he was for here and now. And I am in all the way. They'll betray them. Many false prophets will rise up and deceive many makes perfect sense because when the world is like it is right now and was in the days of the disciples, we will look for any voice to lead us out of uncertainty. We are most susceptible to false prophets and teaching when we are scared. That's how nations end up entrusting themselves to dictators because somebody came along with strength and power and said, I will lead you out. And we said, okay. False prophets. Verse 12, because lawlessness will multiply, the love of many will grow cold. Lawlessness is, is just a complete absence of any kind of law. It, it means that we do whatever we want to do whenever we want to do it because we want to do it. Now all of us have that bent in us. But there are days and there are places in both the disciples' days, all throughout history and definitely in our day, where people are saying, that's just how I'm going to live my life. Hopefully, even though you have that selfish bent, and so do I, when it comes to the law of the land, you obey the law of the land and not just what you want to do. And when it comes to the laws of social interaction, you, you participate according to those laws. You don't just make everyone line up with your own agenda. But there's coming a day and, 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 and is, has been throughout history when just there will be more and more and more selfishness. And because of that selfishness, the love of many will grow cold. Because love and selfishness do not coexist. They're opposites. Because love is by very nature saying, I'm sacrificing myself. What I want for your good. For what's better for you. Men, so if, you're, if you say that you love your wife, but your whole home revolves around what you want to do and your hobbies and your things and your way and your personality, then you don't really love your family. Because you can't be selfish and loving at the same time. So the love of many will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end will be delivered. This good news of the kingdom will be proclaimed in all the world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. So right at the end there's this little ray of hope. This huge list of negative, terrible things. But at the end, this little ray of hope. That feels like the days that we're living in. We don't know what it was like to be the disciples, and maybe it was totally true of their days as well, but it's definitely true of our days. So what is our responsibility? Look what Jesus says in verse 6. You are going to hear of wars and rumors of wars. 
see that you are not alarmed. Alarmed means to be frightened. So Jesus is saying, don't be frightened and don't be troubled. It literally means to have a stirring in your stomach. You know, that nervous pit, that's alarm. And he's saying, don't be alarmed. Now, I don't know about you, but when I get online and I read about everything that's going on around the world, when I look at this list in Matthew chapter 24, alarm seems to be the most appropriate response. But Jesus says, don't be alarmed. I want you to turn to Isaiah chapter 35. Isaiah is a book filled with prophetic messages to the people of Judah, the people of God. And there's messages of, of confrontation, that they had sinned, that they were wicked, they were twisted, they had forsaken God and His ways. And because of that, there's messages of judgment in here, that they're going to be judged, that they're going to be punished, they're going to reap what they have sown. And they do, that's what happens. Uh, Similar to the Romans, the Babylonians come and they destroy Jerusalem and they destroy the first temple that was built by Solomon. And Babylon takes many of the Jewish people back to Babylon. But there's also prophetic messages in Isaiah that after a generation or so has lived its, its existence in exile, that they'll be allowed to come back to Israel. They'll be allowed to come home. And that's what Isaiah chapter 35 is. It's a prophetic message of hope. For that return, for that redemption. Look what it says in verse 3. Strengthen the weak hands. Steady the shaking knees. Say to the faint hearted, be strong and do not fear. Here is your God. Vengeance is coming. God's retribution is coming. He will save you. Now anytime somebody uses the word vengeance, we just, we kind of get uncomfortable because vengeance is not a very appropriate word in our culture. What it's saying, God is saying to his people is, listen, people have harmed you. The Babylonians harmed you. And I'm coming to vindicate you. And I'm coming to save you. And that's what we need to know in these days. We need to know that God does come and save. See, God is always doing two things for us. He's protecting us. He's shielding us. He's preventing harm and calamity from coming to us. Or he's carrying us through it. You know, we all have to walk to the valley of the shadow of death. That's just a part of being alive on planet earth. But what does the scripture say? I will fear no evil for your rod and your staff They comfort me. God is always doing two things for you. He's either right now at this moment protecting you, shielding you from all kinds of harm and influence that wants to come your way. The schemes of the devil that he has hatched and laid out for you, God is protecting you from it. Or maybe that harm did come to you. That pain did come to you. That diagnosis did come to you. And he's going to carry you through it. But he does not say, I abandon you. He does not say, I forsake you. So right now in your life, what is he doing? Maybe he's doing both for you. In one area, he's protecting you. You were praying. You were saying, God, keep it away. Don't let it come. Let it be this way and not that way. And and it worked. And he answered your prayer. He protected you. And maybe another thing you prayed and it happened anyway 
And he's going to carry you through it. He's always doing those things because our God is a God who comes to save. And look what it should do for us. Verse 3, strengthen the weak hands, steady the shaking knees, say to the faint-hearted, be strong and do not fear. In the scripture we see God always telling his people to not be afraid. To be strong, to be courageous, be bold. Don't be afraid, don't be filled with fear. Fear not. Why? Because when you genuinely trust God, bravery and courage is the natural byproduct. If you genuinely believe deep in your heart that God protects you and carries you, then what are you going to be afraid of? And that's what the church needs to be in these days. The church needs to be the group assembled on planet earth that says when everybody else is afraid, when everyone else is prophesying calamity and doom and destruction, we are the church of God and we believe that he will protect us or we believe that even if we have to walk through it, he will carry us. And so we are moving forward. We will not retreat. We are not alarmed. And answer me this, who else? In this world is going to do that. What other group right now is assembled saying, no matter what, we are going to move forward with faith and optimism and courage? No group except for the church. And it's only possible because of the faith we have in him to come and save us, to come and protect us, and to come and carry us. Back to Matthew chapter 24. So in these days we should not be alarmed. And then look at verse 14 again. This good news of the kingdom will be proclaimed in all the world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. So this little ray of light sticking up out of Matthew chapter 24 in these first verses. It's all doom and gloom, calamity. Right out of the middle, it just appears out of nowhere to us that Jesus says, and oh, by the way, the gospel, the good news, that the kingdom of God is available to the world through me, that good news, it's going to go to every place on planet Earth. And what's crazy is it, by the end of the disciples' lives, it had traveled to all that they knew of the world. Now, of course, they didn't know everything. Um, They didn't know the world was as big as it was in the first century. But every place that they knew people were, the gospel had made it there by the end of the last disciples' life. And so what Jesus said was true. But what about in our day? Surely everyone in 2012 has heard of Jesus. I mean, we have the internet for crying out loud. You can go to Africa and they sell cell phones there. I've seen it myself. So surely, you know, Jesus is getting through some way. You would think that, but that's not true. There's an estimated 16,000 people groups in the world right now. A people group is kind of a common people that shares a common language in a common region. 16,000 people groups, uh, almost 7,000 of them have no one there in, in their midst right now who can tell them about Jesus. The world's population at this moment is almost 7 billion. 3 billion people have no witness to Jesus. In 2012, that means even if they wanted to know, there's no one there to tell them. 
That's why I love that we're um, commissioning our first mission team next week here. A team of 10 headed out to East Asia to a, uh, a reached people group, but not uh, one where the name of Jesus is commonly known. And they're going to do English as a second language, uh, as a platform to communicate the gospel. And so they're going to be teaching people English. And oh, by the way, as they teach people English, they're going to be teaching about Jesus. It's going to be fantastic. And I want us as a church to lean in more to that because that's what Jesus said for us to do. Go therefore into all nations, making disciples. That's our commission. And Jesus said that the gospel, the good news would go into every part of the world. Uh, Hopefully out of our church, we send lots of people who will give up their lives, a year of their lives, two years, five years, ten years, the rest of their lives to, to go and to carry the name of Jesus to some people who don't have access to his powerful name. You know, anytime God is moving like he is here, he's sending. When God moves, God sends. That's what happens. And so hopefully he's stirring you up. You may be an engineer. You may be a salesman. You may be right now kind of floundering around and kind of I'm in between jobs, but there's this stirring in your heart for a a nation, a people around the world. That maybe is God saying, I'm moving and I'm sending and I'm sending you to go. Because the gospel has to go to every place around the world it's got to go to new places and and now in our culture it has to go to some old places too places like england where christianity was once the main religion now there's a whole generation of people amanda and i've seen it for ourselves whole generation of young people that only know, know the name of jesus because it's a name that floats around culture they have no frame or reference for what that name means and somebody's got to go back to them And somebody's got to go to the deepest parts of India where no one right now knows the name of Jesus. Africa, China, North Korea. Somebody's got to go. Listen, not just somebody's got to go. Somebody is going to go. And if somebody's got to go, it might as well be us. It might as well be us that have that privilege And it says, when that happens, the end will come. Now, how you feel about eternal life will come out in you when you think about whether or not you want the end to come. I remember when I was in high school and kind of early into college, that if I was going to be totally honest, and we're not honest here, we like to lie and pretend. If I was going to be totally honest, um, I didn't want Jesus to return yet. Like I wanted him to return, like kind of after I was doing all the fun stuff, like graduating from high school and then doing college and then definitely getting married. Like I was really praying that Jesus would not come right before I got married. And so I wanted to do all those kinds of things. And right. And, and so um, because, and you've been there too, and that's why I don't feel embarrassed about telling you know, that. Because why? Because we got this weird twisted version of what eternal life is going to be like. For some reason, people like me, we give off the impression that heaven and eternal life is going to be this never ending religious service. Right? It's just going to be the worship service that never ends, like just ever. It just goes, sails on into eternity. And listen, I love being here with you on Sunday mornings. It's my favorite thing that I do all week. But like when you go home, I'm not just like hanging out here still. You know, like I got stuff to do. I like to go home and, you know, all those kinds of things. And so for some of us, the thought of being in a never-ending worship service 
forever and ever and ever. And it really just doesn't sound that appealing. So we end up adopting this mindset where it's like Jesus is going to come. Then the worship service forever will start. So, but hopefully he kind of comes after I do all of this stuff. Because this life is hard, but at least it's interesting. And that other one, honestly, kind of sounds kind of boring. But that's because we just have a really mixed up view of eternal life. Have you ever prayed? And when you prayed, it was like the prayer came out of your mouth and immediately you got a response. Just immediately. It didn't have to go far. Just God was it there. In eternal life, it's like that all the time. You ever been reading the scripture or just listening for God to speak? And it's like he speaks as loud as if he were talking out loud. In eternal life, it's like that all the time. You ever been worshiping here on Sunday mornings? And it just feels like your heart is going to explode because like you're singing everything that you're feeling inside. In eternal life, it's like that all the time. You've been with your friends, just laughing around, laughing, telling stories, sitting around. It's just the best. In eternal life, it's like that all the time. You ever gotten away out in the country, on vacation, you take a little walk, you're in nature, and you come up on a little lake or pond or some beautiful thing, and you just sit down and you just breathe. In eternal life, it's like that all the time. Because in eternal life, there's no sin to break everything and ruin everything. It's, it's indescribable. It's, it's unimaginable what the end is going to mean for us. You know, us wanting Jesus to delay his return so we can do a bunch of fun stuff is like the Israelites coming out of Egypt as slaves and then saying to Moses, you know what, we'd really like to go back into slavery. We want the end to come. And if you don't really right now want it to come, it's, it's because you're not thinking correctly and rightly about what it's going to be like. But then the end will come. So we, we want to transfer missions today. Because... Everyone that you know, for the most part, is on a mission for security and safety and satisfaction. Everyone you know, everyone that you live on the street with, on the team with, work with, hang out with, maybe even you yourself, I know I have, we are all, are and have been on a mission for those things, safety, security, and satisfaction. But what we see in the scripture today is those three things are going to be hard to come by as the end gets closer and closer and closer. So we want to transfer missions from something that is failing to something that cannot fail. The gospel of Jesus going to every place. We want to transfer purpose and mission from seeking my own, which will not last which moth and rust can come and destroy, to seeking what cannot be stopped. There are not very many things in this life that cannot be stopped. 
I mean, try to think of a few. That just nothing, no force on planet Earth could prevent. And one of those things is the gospel of Jesus in the hands of the church. And I want to give my life to something that will not fail. I do not want to give my life, and I know you do not want to give your life, to something that will crumble and rot and be destroyed. So a transfer of missions has to happen today in these days as everyone else is watching the news and descending into despair and chaos and anxiety. Not us, not the church. It reminds us as the news is coming across, as it's on the TV at home, as we're reading it in the paper or online, it reminds us, oh yeah, I'm not about any of those things. I'm about the one thing that cannot be stopped today. The message of Jesus in the hands of of the church, the people of God. Because there are going to be a crescendo, two crescendos, in fact. You know crescendos, if you're a music fan, crescendos is when the music is soft and then it gets louder and louder and louder and louder. That's a crescendo. You can count on for the rest of your days, however many they are, two crescendos will happen. Evil will crescendo. I know that's terrible news. It's not my favorite message. I was actually had rather done the previous message until Amanda said, do you know what's going on in the world? And I didn't, and that's how we ended up here. Evil is going to crescendo. But so is the church. More and more people are going to come and find Jesus. Listen, one day we may have to take this underground. But it cannot be stopped. And those two things you can count on. This world, it's just going to reproduce what it is. But the church, we're going to reproduce the gospel over and over and over and over again. So hopefully this week, you're sitting across from somebody and topic of politics and wars and rumors of wars and videos and all that comes up and you can hear the anxiety in their voice, the despair in their voice and you just appear just steady and cool and they say to you, what's, what's going on? Why don't, do you not care about what's going on? You say, no, I care. I, I very much care. I'm plugged in. I know what's going on. I'm not like my pastor. I know what's going on in the world. But you can say, I'm not worried. I'm not alarmed. Because I know this story. I know this story. And you can tell them the rest of the story. The rest of the story is, bad news first, it's going to get worse. You think it's bad now, it's going to get worse. Imagine what it would be like to be your children, your grandchildren, your great-grandchildren. It's going to get worse. It's going to be sad. But I'm thankful that I'm a part of the one organization on planet Earth that's going to get stronger. The Church of Jesus Christ. And so evil's going to get worse. The church is going to get stronger. And at some point, those forces, good and evil, they're going to collide. And when that happens, there's going to be a day when, when evil gathers up somehow to make war against God, whether figuratively or metaphorically. And we're going to hear this massive shout.
everyone is going to hear it. And the sky is going to split. And Jesus Christ, the Son of God, will descend. Not like the first time when he dropped into Christmas unnoticed and quiet. No, he's coming with lightning and thunder. And he's not coming alone. He's coming with the armies of heaven. And he comes to make war against all those who have made themselves his enemies. All the scoffers and all the uh, mockers and all the twisted and all the evil. And he comes wearing a robe of a king that's dipped in blood. And across it says king of kings and lord of lords. And then he will stare at his enemies and he will make war against them. But there will be no battle because he will consume them with his very word. Like a sword coming out of his mouth. And then everything that we know that is so broken. Every life that has been broken. Every business that's been broken. Every organization. Every function. Every nation. Every country. Every injustice that has ever happened. Will be set right. And he will do away with death and hell and sin. And we will live with him forever and ever and ever. And so you can slide that story across the table when the rest of the world is feeling anxious and alarmed. And you can say, no, I've seen this play out. And because I know how it ends, and because I believe that no matter what happens, he will either protect me or carry me. I'm giving my life to what cannot be stopped. And I'm moving ahead with faith and optimism and bravery. So that's our choice as the church. Listen, we can descend with everybody else in the next two months in the United States of America. We could descend because, listen, they're going to descend into despair and chaos. But let's not do that because we're not on a mission for safety and security and satisfaction. We've plugged in to what matters most. Let's pray.